Hey there, you're listening to What the Riff? Join us as we remember the great rock and roll hits from a month between 1965 and 1995. We're going to riff on all things about the bands, the members, and the goings-on during that time. We hope to inspire you to find and download the songs you hear today, whether you're fans who forgot about some of these tracks or maybe never even heard them before. Check out our blog at whattheriff.com or follow us on Facebook at What the Riff. Here's a shout-out to our sponsors, Right Column Financial, offering CFO and bookkeeping services for small business, Stanton Electric, a commercial electrical specialist, and Marbury Creative Group, a brand development agency that helps companies tell it better. So let's turn up the volume and enjoy this episode of What the Riff? In front of a live audience of 20 tourists, David Copperfield makes the Statue of Liberty disappear. A lone suicide bomber kills 63 at the U.S. Embassy in Lebanon. And Tokyo Disneyland opens. This is April 1983, and you're listening to What the Riff. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. Rob, what you got? This is Zebra from their 1983 album, Zebra. Love this group. Is this their first album? Yes, it is. You recognize it? Oh, yeah. Yep. A lot of people probably think this is Led Zeppelin, but it's not. Zebra's a hard rock band. They were founded in 1975. Okay. And do you know where they're from? New Orleans. New Orleans, Louisiana. Oh, really? I love that 12-string. And now they start kicking it in here. Check out the voice, Randy Jackson. I love this, man. This is a great song. Listen to that vocal range. And he was on American Idol. <laughs> that would be a different Randy Jackson. You do hear that Randy Jackson oh, yeah. though, playing bass on some rock songs. Absolutely. Well, he, he toured with us. Journey in the for the Raised on Radio tour. This is Who's Behind the Door, probably their best known song. Uh, I saw Randy Jackson play this live in an interview. Listen to this voice. Oh my goodness. A little Frankie Valley, a little falsetto. Except for he wasn't 12 years old. <laughs> Yeah, they have a lot. It's, it's almost that wall of sound. And you'll hear more of that as we get into the end of this song. This was just, it's such a great group, and it's a really underrated group. Yes. It's a trio. Right, a power trio. Randy Jackson on guitar and vocals. Felix Hanneman on bass, keyboards, and vocals. And Guy Gelso on drums and vocals. And guess what? They're still together. Really? Are they touring? I, yes, I, they are. And I, folks, they are still hitting these notes. Oh, yeah. I, Wait right. until this song plays out. There are some high notes on this one. It is pretty amazing. I saw one of those reaction videos. They had these three 20-something-year-old kids. They'd never heard it, but a listener said, you got to listen to this. And they were, they're, they're all yeah. doing their heads like bobbing their heads during this part. <laughs> and then Randy Jackson comes in and they are just like the eyes their eyes are like what <laughs> there you go 
I love this part. It gives you, it gives me chill bumps. What a great transition, man. I got him too. Oh, I thought this album came in the 70s. Oh, this is like Rush. It's like laser light. It's like Aldo Nova yeah. shooting lasers out of his guitar. It's, exactly. It's like a spaceship blasting off. Or what is it? Children of the Sun. One of those. Yeah. 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 But what sound? A trio. Pretty amazing. These guys started off as the Led Zeppelin cover band in New Orleans. Okay, that's why it sounds very similar. That's why, yeah. That's what they were doing. They were playing Led Zeppelin. They were also playing, yes, Ah, Jethro Tull, who we covered in our previous podcast, and Pink Floyd. So it's a prog rock type of, they've got some prog rock credibility. Well, obviously with all the things coming in. Listen to that, man. Right, Wallace Sound. Wallace. So I got Space Age. I got to adjust the volume just so we can hear ourselves. <laughs> I hate for this song to end, man. This yeah, is great. It's a great one, isn't it? This is a download. You got to download this, folks. Download it, man. Even the the ending here is just epic, yeah. and it's like everything's winding down. They're taking little bits out. Yeah. up a little bit all right great start oh yeah so now we're gonna go to a little bit of a deeper cut and i just love this uh the way this starts off with this drum like jamie's crying it got a little bit of that bass in there didn't it you wake up in the morning you're not really quite the same Oops. Oops. Then he jumps up. He doesn't have an in-between. It's just like, all right, I'm singing. I'm going to speak, singing, and then I'm going to just hit it. (laughs) When You Get There is the name of this song. How much influence do you think they uh, rush had on them? I didn't see them mention that, but there's certainly some similarities. Well, I think probably because Rush got a lot of influence from... um, uh, from Led Zeppelin, and that's probably the common thread that runs through there. But for some reason, I'm thinking on this, the producers. It reminds me of the producers. I don't know why. Yeah, a little bit this drum beat. Yeah, I can mm-hmm. see that. Who is the, the producers are also from New Orleans. Are they, I thought they were Atlanta-based. No, they, they, I'm pretty sure they were Atlanta. They're from your new home. Oh, my new home. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know why but, I thought they were from New Orleans, but anyway. Listen to the guitar licks. Randy Jackson's really a great guitar player. I saw an interview, and he he was just playing acoustically a 12-string and just talking to the host, and he started singing. And to your point, he's hitting those notes. It's pretty amazing. I just love the groove, too. It's a little funky, isn't it? It really is. It's kind of walking around a little bit there. Here we go. Yeah, they've got a great sound. 
I was wondering where they got the name Zebra. Yeah? There was a lyric in the previous song, Animals at the Zoo, so I thought maybe it was just about their, they like animals. <laughs> uh, they saw a cover of a Vogue magazine back in the 70s, and it was a picture of a woman riding on a zebra. <laughs> They're like, that's cool. Let's call ourselves Zebra. <laughs> but it's interesting that they started in 75, and it took them this long to really get, you know, get a hit, come up with a right. hit. When did you say they got their start? 75. Is this their first album? This is their first this is their first album. That's what I say. It took them a long time to get going. This song, guess what it's called? La la, the la la song. Ah. <laughs> this was so unique, I had to include it. This is another deep cut from the album. If you had the album, you remember. Some of this makes me think of yes this mm -hmm. song specifically yeah. it kind of makes me think a little bit of the banana split <laughs> <laughs> or honestly maybe a little more like the monkeys or something it's kind of a fun it feels to me like it's kind of definitely somewhere in the 60s and 70s See, I'm seeing, I'm hearing the '80s, the late, mid to late '80s rush in this. It's the it's it's the the strong bass run yes. combined with the synthesizers. Yeah. I think it's Getty Lee. I can, I'm getting into yeah. my rush trap here. <laughs> They're kind of putting these. Different sounds the in there. The sound and the effects. They're Again, coming from a distance. A wall of sound. Yeah. Yeah, it's, this is a, a true example of them being connected to that progressive era, I think. Yeah. Felix is playing the keyboards on this one is he their ordinary keyboard player or is this he was the one that would pick it up okay see this right here sounds like yes to me yeah you're right yeah. It's, it's the meter happened, it's yeah. the complex meter definitely the prog rock side of yeah. it for... sorry bruce what were you gonna well i was just wondering the is felix the bass player and the keyboardist felix plays the bass and keyboard okay and so obviously they had to figure out something to do with session musicians when they're when they're touring yeah i bet he did a lot of foot pedal uh keyboard playing like that it's that he did yeah probably there you go they only produced four albums they had this one zebra in 83 it made it to number 29 on the charts. It was the most commercially successful. Their second one was called No Telling Lies and it came out in 1984. It had two hits. Was that the one that had bears? Bears. Okay. Another animal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Wait Until the Summer's Gone. Do you remember that? Wait Until the Summer's Gone. If okay. you heard it, you would 
you'd recognize it. I was really trying to figure out which of those two albums I wanted to cover because I like them both. Mm-hmm. But you would recognize those two songs. The third album was called 3.V. Their fourth album was called Zebra 4. <laughs> it was in 2003. But I saw in some recent interviews that they're, they've got another album in the works. At least they were working on one in 2019, 2020. I was just wondering, have they been together the entire time? They do solo projects, and then they come together. And then they kind of do solo projects, and then they come... They each have these different kind of gigs that they do. But what's cool is they do do come together for certain events. Randy Jackson's into a lot of philanthropy and raising money, and so he'll do benefit concerts and stuff. Mm -hmm. But they seem to always go between New York and Louisiana. Like, that's if you look at their tour dates, they're either in the Northeast or they're in the Louisiana area or Texas. They've got, they've got a good following in the metro Atlanta area, though. Yeah, you're right. I, I was looking to see. It doesn't look like they're coming here anytime soon. I think this group actually gets underappreciated because oh, yeah. they were really pretty big in the, in the mid-'80s. I mean, they had a good following. Like you said, I don't know what happened if just people just – they didn't really appeal to the classic rock, but I mean, you don't hear it as much as you. They were in an awkward time, uh, definitely. De- they were a classic '70s band, but when you think about what was going on in music in 1980, like this part right here sounds like '70s, sure. But in 1983, you had Purple Rain, Bruce Springsteen. You know, the pop- it was more popular music that was getting out there. It wasn't. It didn't have this feel to it. Because they were such a good cover band in, in uh, New Orleans, they had a huge following that wanted to get them on a label, and finally they got picked up because of that. But I think that's what took the longest. They got signed to Atlantic, and uh, their producer was a guy named Jack Douglas who produced John Lennon. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if you hear anything that sounds a little bit like the Beatles, this is your wall of sound right here, man. Isn't it? I can see them jamming this out for like 20 minutes in a concert. Oh, yeah. There's a live version of this, and it is about 20 minutes long. <laughs> yeah. You can see how this would be a great one uh, for, for a concert, for sure. I've got, I've got to see Zebra before before too long. Yeah. It, we should look and see when they're coming to Atlanta and, and check it out. But yeah. that one was about six minutes long. Now, this is the opening track on the album, and I really like it. Oh, Who does this sound song. like? This is this is Triumph. I was thinking yeah. Alan Parsons project. Yeah, I can see that too. I'm thinking Triumph. Yeah. It's that that 12 string sound yeah. is back. Yeah, and when they kick it in, you're sitting there going, "Oh my goodness." Now, this is on my playlist that I have. I have one playlist this is sort of like Here we go. When I ride my road bike, I've been training for the Silver Comet Trail, which is a 100-mile trail back and forth. So I'll do 200 miles in 2 days. And this is one of the songs on there just to get me going. And, yeah, this just explodes. I'm hearing a little Def Leppard in here, too. They could definitely play each other's songs. Yeah. Yeah. 
This is male teenage angst. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. This is a great song. I mean, I consider this kind of heavy metal. I mean, just this has got that because it explodes. Obviously, it's more hard rock. Got that chromatic scale going down. I was thinking. 25 or 6 to 4. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would work. <laughs> a little bit of that. Kick it. They opened for Loverboy in 1983, and that just really helped them, just propelled them out and got them, got them out there. Because Loverboy was huge back then. I saw this um, interview with a lady named Donna Drake in 2018. Her show's called Live It Up. And he was just sitting there next to her with his 12-string playing. Uh, but he was talking a little bit. He said that his parents took him and his brother to see the Beatles in concert. And wow. they were inspired by that. And they started playing this cover band for Led Zeppelin. And... His parents were really excited that they were making money in music, but his dad hired a music critic to secretly go to New Orleans and review their shows and tell him if it was any good or not. Because he wasn't sure if really? they were going to. He just wanted. He wanted that. He wanted to know: Are they really good, or is it just me being their dad? Then his parents were like, "All right, you made it. The music critic like likes it." He said that uh, this lady uh, asked him about maintaining his voice, and he said he really does have to work on it. He's got a vocal coach, and he's kind of retuned. He used some term like that, kind of figured out how to sing and still hit the high note. It's 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 amazing. I have seen you know little YouTube clips of of the guy, and it's I'm shocked that he's able to keep those high notes because most people lose them. I'm sure this is a song to his wife, and he's just going, tell me what you want. Just tell me what you want. Where are we going to eat tonight? Just Just tell tell me me what you want. It could be midlife angst as well. But you could hear Robert Plant singing that as well. I mean, definitely an influence. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Absolutely. So now we're going to flip over to our entertainment track, brought to us by Wright Common Financial. Well, in film of April 1983, here's a movie I did not see. Starring Jennifer Beals, Flashdance. <laughs> that was a nice little rhyme there. You may not have seen the movie, but you saw the movie on MTV. Yes, <laughs> you did. Yeah, I <laughs> At least the did. good parts. <laughs> I never watched the whole thing either. I only saw bits and pieces of it. Uh, it was a great video, and it got a ton of uh, airplay on MTV. Another movie you probably didn't know about, but it was Heart Like a Wheel. It's a biographical film. It's based on the life of the drag racer Shirley Modowney. And I remember back when I was younger, drag racing was the thing. And a female drag racer was completely unusual, so that was kind of neat. Well, we all remember Porky's. There was a teen sex comedy that came out called Screwballs that was inspired by it. There were a number of rather questionable movies that were inspired by Porky's. (laughs) (laughs) 
Lone Wolf McQuaid, a Western film starring... Is that Steve McQueen? Chuck Norris. Oh. oh. Yeah, David Carradine was in that also. There was a comedy starring Tom Cruise, believe it or not, called Losing It. Was Shelley Long involved in that? You guys remember that? No. I somehow remember... Yeah, yeah, I remember something about that. And we record, we recorded or our, our, talked about this song uh, a long time ago, but it actually came out before this, but the movie Valley Girl. Oh, yeah. yeah. And this was the first one with Nicolas Cage, if you remember. And it was inspired <laughs> by the song by Frank and Moon Unit Zappa uh, back in the day. I, I remember how funny that was with the Valley Girl talking yeah. in the background. Oh, yeah. For gag, sure. Gag me with a spoon. <laughs> for that sure, for sure. <laughs> Buster Crab and Gloria Swanson died during April of 1983, and those oh. are people from back in the um, silent film days. The 55th Academy Awards are awarded out. Gandhi won, and Ben Kinsley and Meryl Streep won also. TV of April 1983. Ben Scully makes his debut at NBC as a play-by-play announcer on Major League Baseball telecast. And I didn't even realize it because I was a Dodger fan, and Ben Scully was the announcer for the Dodger game. So I was kind of surprised, you know, that Hmm. happened. And then in cable, there was a channel called the Disney Channel that showed up. Oh, really? That long ago? In April of 1983, yeah. Really? The first show was Good Morning Mickey, and I don't remember that, and I don't remember the Disney Channel at that time either. If I remember correctly, they started up the new Mickey Mouse Club around that time when they did the oh, Disney yeah. Channel. The number of uh, singers that came out of that, that was just crazy. Oh, yeah. Uh, didn't Jessica Simpson or somebody come yeah. to Justin Timberlake? Yep. Yeah. Justin Timberlake, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was one interesting thing that I'm just going to relate to. If you guys remember, uh, on the... Uh, Fourth of July in Washington D.C., they would have a a concert out there, and they were going to have this really hard rock band called the Beach Boys oh, yeah. playing, and the Interior Secretary James Watt banned them because they <laughs> banned it, the because, Beach Boys because they would attract the wrong element. <laughs> and so later that week, there was this there was this uh, plaster foot with a hole in it that Ronald Reagan presented it with him because he definitely shot himself in the foot on that. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. That was our entertainment track brought to us by Right Column Financial. We're moving into staff picks here, and Bruce uh, wanted a second for an introduction. So what do you have for us? We're continuing the prog rock theme, and this song, I've got an assignment. I want you to count the number of key changes between the start of the song and the chorus. Okay. Okay, just count that. So Shall we roll and, with it? And we'll go with Prog Rock Central. <laughs> Wayne's favorite. Wayne does an eye roll. This ballad <laughs> was originally written in 1982 by Cynthia Whale and Barry Mann. Dionne Warwick recorded it on an album in 1982, and Steve Woods did the same. But this is the version we all know. By Sergio Mendez. You recognize this. <laughs> yes. All right, guys. There is one reason that I did this song. Oh, you did to irritate Wayne? Not just to, <laughs> that's just a side benefit, Wayne. Have people decide not to download our podcast? <laughs> this no, here's the thing. Rick Beato 
has oh. a YouTube video. Okay, yeah, I like him. Rick, uh, got, if you haven't checked out Rick Beato, I love his stuff. He does a video. He calls this the most complex pop song of all time. So here we now, go. Have you been counting? No. <laughs> I counted three. Okay. There are either, this is either the sixth or seventh key change that has occurred in this song. Wow. <laughs> Rick Beato spends 20 minutes on this. You gotta check it I out. Will. It's fantastic. He certainly has a better ear, but then again, that's not saying much in my case. I'm more into those that music that doesn't have a single key chain and just plays one chord for like <laughs> two minutes and screams okay. at you. Ramones, this is not. <laughs> but it's pretty impressive. I mean, I I had never really considered it until I watched Rick Beato's thing. But this is a terribly complex song. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I actually thought it was another song yeah. in my head that was much faster than this one when I just saw the title. I didn't listen to it. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. Yeah. Right, you're going to have to stop doing songs net with never in it. The never I'm going to give you up. I'm <laughs> <laughs> never going to let you down. I'm sorry. Wayne's Wayne's shaking his head too much. <laughs> Is that a Michael Jackson? It's actually. <laughs> This Sergio Mendez, it's all, it's a lot of of uh, session musicians. Oh, it that is are brought in. So yeah. it's kind of like we are the world. <laughs> kind of <laughs> like it. But now I'll tell you, this is not the first time that Sergio Mendez has made our our list. Oh, really? I had I had him as a staff pick back in the episode eighty nine, July nineteen sixty eight. He did uh, the Look of Love. July 68. Really? July 68. Sergio Mendez and Brazil 66. Okay. So, and that one went to number four on the Billboard Hot 100. And this one, do you know where it made it? Trash heap of rock and roll music. Number one. I'm, I'm going to say number Wayne, one. You've got to expand your horizons. <laughs> this one made it to number four. Number four. So, it, both of these made it to number four. Do you think this was on the uh, soundtrack for? Uh... It was definitely on Solid Gold, my friend. Solid Gold, okay. Yes, it's All got right. a nice beat and it's easy to dance to, but thought, it is not easy to play. I thought it might have been on Flash Dance. <laughs> I'm just gonna go back to Rick Beato. If yeah, if he talks about this because at the time he was doing a gig and they wanted to throw this one in, and he and a buddy of his are listening to this and it's like. We're, Folks, we're jazz guys. We can do this. And they start listening to it, and it's like, are we going to have to chart this out? No, yeah. we're not going to chart this out. We're going to figure this out. It is funny how many times they do that. And they don't just go higher every time. No, no. It's a, they modulate. It's yeah. it's a very difficult song. And I think that's what threw me. When you know, up to the first chorus, because mm-hmm. I was only listening for the key changes going, going up. up. Yeah. So that's where it caught me. All right. Well, thanks for that, Bruce. Now we're going to go to Brian with his staff pick, and I'm really digging this one. Finally, we're picking it up. Yes. I love this song. I do, too. Bring it in. There you go. I'm sure by now you all have recognized the song and the band, but I'll tell you who it is anyway. This is Journey. From their album Frontiers. It's a great unheralded album, I think. Because people don't realize what a great rock and roll album this is. 
Well, it was. I think people felt like they were. It was hard to live up to escape. Yeah. I remember waiting for this song. So '83, this would have been, this would have been my sophomore year. I'm I'm about to turn 16, and we're listening to '96 rock. We know Journey's about to drop this album, and this is the first single from it. It peaked at number eight for six consecutive weeks in January of '83. Of course, this is in, we're doing April of '83. Spent four weeks at number one on the top tracks chart. And it's a, really, it's a song that they actually recorded during their tour of Escape in 1982. It's an interesting story because according to Song Facts, Jonathan Kane, the keyboardist and lead vocalist Steve Perry, wrote this song during a, a period when two of the band members were going through very difficult and expensive divorces. Mm. The two people were Neil Sean, their lead guitarist, and Ross Valerie, their bass player. Okay. And so they said, well, especially Steve Perry says, there's got to be a more soulful way of looking at this. So he and Jonathan came sat backstage one night and kind of Steve Perry was playing the bass. Jonathan Kane was on guitar. And they just... They worked out the uh, the melody. And then, of course, later that day or later that week or whatever it was, it was very quick that Steve Perry and they, they both sat down and wrote the lyrics. This song just has so much power to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Journey exactly. does a lot of kind of almost ballads and, you know, lights and all that kind of stuff is nice and smooth and beautiful. But right. this is just like boom. Well, this is like somebody hitting a speed bag. Now, this song premiered during the tour, during the Escape tour. Oh, uh-huh. oh really? And then, of course, they, they, according to Song Facts, he said, Jonathan Kane was being interviewed. He says, when they started playing it, he looked at Steve Perry and he goes, I think he mumbled his way through half the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> but the audience just came unglued. Well, this harkens back when Steve Perry first joined Journey. Obviously, they had, well, you don't know, but Journey had several albums without Steve Perry, and he joined, and suddenly, I don't know, it just clicked. I mean, The Rock, everything else. There's fans of the early Journey. I'm not, but there are fans of the early But once Steve Perry got there, those first couple albums just blew me away. I was, I've probably seen Journey, the original Journey, probably four or five times. And I... One of the concerts was on the Captured Live album, and I was there at one of those concerts. So I'm going, yeah, that guy that's screaming over here—that's me, you know. Yeah. Now, <laughs> let's talk about the video. <laughs> yes, let's talk about the video. Usually, they would have live concert footage uh-huh. from the, you know, the the tour as their videos, you know, faithfully. And uh, what's the other? But anyway. This uh, this this song was the first one that they actually did a concept video. Uh-huh. It was filmed and we spoke about Zebra being new from New Orleans. Well, ironically, this video was shot on a dock in New Orleans. I can no still see, see him and the yeah. guys in the background. Yes, it's so good. Yeah, hokey. I can still but, see it, yeah. Folks, the video sucks. Oh, it's the horrible. video is Awful. And Steve Perry was uh, totally against doing a concept video. He goes, 
we're performers, we're entertainers, we are not actors. Uh-huh. And he was... And that day that they recorded this video in New Orleans, there was a strong wind coming off the Mississippi River, and they were freezing. Oh, no. So, <laughs> you can see him going in there. After Between takes, Perry ran to his uh, trailer because he was so cold. I love this. This definitely yeah. takes me right I, back to my junior year in high school. Exactly. This, I, I like the idea. Look, I still love you, but we got to go our separate ways. Yeah. You know, sometimes... Yeah, it's, it's deep, uh, you know, emotion yeah. in there, too. Well, like you said, he wanted to do a soulful yeah. version of this, and he did. Oh, man. I love the ending. Yeah. Here we go. We've all got our fists in the air. Bang, bang. Yes. All right. Thanks, Brian. Now we're going over to Wayne. Well, we're going to keep this rock and rolling Let's going. Let's do it, man. We're, we're going to make you forget what Bruce brought to us. <laughs> <laughs> and... Flash dance. <laughs> I guess you can call these guys a one-hit wonder. Guys, we got the group Fastway with the song Say What You Will. It's off their debut self-titled album. I like that riff. Yeah. I didn't never had the album, but I mean, it, it's one of these groups that's sort of forgotten in the annals of music history. But Fastway, similar to Zebra... They have a lot of followers, and I, I, like I mentioned before, these Facebook groups, they pop up all the time. This sounds to me, it's got that shuffle beat, like ZZ Top, Tush. Oh, yeah. I could, yeah, that, there's a connection there. Well, these guys are out of Britain. I wouldn't call them a super group, but they were formed by former Motorhead's guitarist, Fast Eddie Clark, and UFO bassist Peter Way, and that's a group we need to yeah. look on UFO eventually. But did you notice the name? Fast, Fast Way. Yeah. And Peter Way. So that's that's how they got the name. And they were kind of disgruntled with the with the bands they were with, so they just said, "Hey, what the heck?" And they asked uh, Humble Pie drummer Jerry Shirley to join them. Ah. And then unknown vocalist Dave King. To join them, and you may not know the name, but you do know the group Logging Molly, which he's a member. He's the lead singer for, and there's sort of this uh, Irish folk group that does rock music. I don't know. I, I mean, and at the time of this, he sort of had the um, looks of Robert Plant. So, I've never heard of the group Flogging Molly, but I'm going to listen. Oh to yeah, the group. you've got to. Oh yeah, it's a great. They came into Atlanta not too long ago. I was wanting to go, but it's just it was during the week and work and blah, 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 blah. But Pete Way left the band for a little bit and didn't record any on these songs. They had a, a studio musician uh, named Rafaelito Benitez, and he's not even credited on the album for doing the bass parts. So these guys are really a no-hit wonder. This did <laughs> no not even wonder. chart. Oh, really? Uh, this is they, a great song. Uh, it's great. Um, the album did chart on the top 40 of the album charts, but they were rotated big time on MTV. Little Scorpion sound to it as well. Exactly. Well, speaking of which, they were an opening act, and they opened for the Scorpions, oh, that Rat, sense. Iron Maiden, ACDC, and Rush. Really? Yes. 
When, when, which concert did they open for Rush? It was in the in the eighties, so you probably have seen them if you saw. I might have seen them. They Rush had some good opening uh, opening acts. They also did a cover of Uriah Heep's "Easy Easy Living," so you know mm-hmm. if you want to go check it out. But yeah, that was fast ways. Say what you will. Nice. All right, coming back to Raw, and we're and we're we're taking it down a little bit. But I have to say, I'm really excited about this song because this is one of my favorite songs from 1983. I liked it more in 1983 than I like it now. What is that? Everybody hit the dance floor. Yeah. What is yeah. that? It's overplayed. Uh, I'm just, yeah. you know, it's unfortunately. But this is English New Wave Band, Spandau Ballet. The song is True. Listen to these vocals. So true. Tony Hadley. Funny how it seems. You know, this is, we've mentioned in another podcast what songs really staple the decade that which yeah. they represent. This is, to me, another staple of the 80s. Well, I can tell you why. Because it's one of the most played songs ever. <laughs> I'll get into that in a little bit. I gotta say, from now on, every time that I hear this, I'm going to flash to the wedding singer. Oh yes, the very last of the wedding singer. When uh, oh, I forget the actor's name, he's singing this. It is it is hilarious. This song was sampled by a hip hop artist called PM Dawn, and he had a song called "Set Adrift in Memory Bliss." And that kind of brought it back into the mainstream in uh, uh, the early 90s, like 1991. And so uh, 99X started playing it, putting it in rotation, and you would hear it there on the alternative stations. Yeah, y'all you need to see Wayne. So I covered these guys in episode 195, uh, and it was from May of 1984. It was Spandau Ballet, and that song was called Only When You Leave. And um, that was a great episode. Wayne, you actually covered The Alarm was your album that you covered oh, for that okay. one. The alarm so we out. learned a lot about that. But, um, you know, this is, this is the big song for them. This was their, this was the sixth biggest selling single of 1983. It was also their biggest hit, and it was their only top ten in the U.S. It made it to number four. In 2011, BMI awarded it as one of the most played songs in the U.S. in history with wow. 4 million airplays wow. played on, on radio. So it gets a lot of, um, a lot of coverage. Um, they had those thin ties, too. Gary Kemp, one of the members who was lead guitar, keyboards, synthesizers, wrote this song. And he did it as a tribute to Marvin Gaye. Listening to Marvin all night yeah. long. And so that was that was kind of what was driving him about it. Listen to that sax, Brian. Amen. There you go. Amen. And on Wikipedia, Kemp was quoted as saying, True became a song about writing a love song. A song about writing a love song about writing a love song. And he says, um, the line, why do I find it hard to write the next line? I want the truth to be said because I didn't want to write it down because there's nothing more embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) This song has been featured in multiple movies. You mentioned one. Sure. 
which was uh, the, the wedding singer. And that was Steve Buscemi. Oh, okay. It was also in 16 Candles. That's probably where you hear it the most. Uh, and that was a dance scene. Charlie's Angels, Crazy Stupid Love, Hot Tub Time Machine, Thongs and Perfect Snogging. <laughs> I don't think that made it over here. It might make your entertainment list there, Wayne. 50 First Dates, a couple of other pictures as well. This is Schindler's List, wasn't it? <laughs> I'll tell you what. Spandau Ballet. Bingo! Spandau Ballet was taken. The name was about the Spandau prison camp, oh. and they were hanging people, and they called it the Spandau Ballet. Ah. That's not where these guys got the name, I don't believe. But anyway, I covered that a little bit in the previous um, yeah. uh, episode that we did. And guys, you just missed it. You've missed seeing Wayne's face throughout this this uh, staff pick. I can tell he loves it, and yes. he is never going to let it go. He's, he's going to love the video, too, and he posts it on Facebook. Yes, yes got, he will. All the members are wearing these suits and ties. They look like crooners. Beautiful guys out singing, playing their instruments, playing the but yeah. saxophone. It is definitely time stamp eighties because is of there this a heavy metal time. version of this I can post on Facebook? I'm sure there is. I am sure. Believe it or a- not, they said their musical influences covered punk rock and soul music and Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett. So now we're going on to our laugh track or instrumental and see if you recognize this one. <laughs> I think it's a comedy. <laughs> it's definitely not an instrumental. And we were watching what, Brian? The Meaning of Life. And this is a movie to offend absolutely everybody. And that was its purpose. Bonnie Python in here. But I can still recall and laugh about it. I was, I was in LSU, at LSU this time. And it's a strong Roman Catholic, you know, yes. crowd there. <laughs> Numerous friends told me they walked out this special scene where they're in the, the restaurant and they're talking about. There's a lot of the man who uh, every time he uh, they uh, had sex, they was conceived. <laughs> oh gosh! All right, top hits of April 1983: Billie Jean with Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah. Do You Really Want to Hurt Me, Culture Club. Hungry Like the Wolf, Duran Duran. Come on, Eileen. One-hit wonder, Dexy Midnight Riders. And their worst song they ever wrote, Mr. Roboto by Styx. Domo arigato, Mr. Roboto. And there were four albums I've got to point out that came out in April of 83 that we didn't even talk about. Quiet Riot, Mental Hell. Nice. Yeah. Talking about your heavy metal there. Pink Floyd, The Final Cut. Yeah. ZZ Top had Eliminator. Yes. And Europe had the album, self-titled album, Europe. Let's and cover Quiet Riot next. Why are we here? You guys are welcome to. I'm just watching. Because, you know, the mental health will do you good. Well, you've been listening to What the Riff from April 1983. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. Hope you guys enjoyed it because it was the meaning of life. Thanks for listening to What the Riff. We hope you enjoyed the songs we had on tap today. 
please tell your friends about us. Check us out at whattheriff.com and follow us on Facebook. Special thanks to our sponsors, Wright Column Financial, Stanton Electric, and Marbury Creative Group. That's all for this week. See you next week on What the Riff?